This is a Sci-Fi Rewind with Kevin Batchelder, Miles P. McLaughlin, and Scott Herzog. Well, welcome to the Sci-Fi Rewind. This is episode 10. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And I am Kevin Batchelder. And we are here talking about shows that have come and gone. Uh, Shows, sometimes movies in this case, that we've been doing for the past couple episodes. And we are doing Stargate tonight. Not Stargate SG-1, not Stargate SGU, not SGA. Stargate. Stargate the movie, yes. Oh, not Stargate Infinity. I forgot Infinity. Infinity needs to be on there. I never <laughs> saw it. Did you ever see Infinity, Kevin? No, I didn't. I guess that was a cartoon series that kind of spun off on it. But Mike Crate probably watched it, but I didn't watch it. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, Mike and the, Alan, those guys from the Gatecast, yeah. correct us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they will. But, wow, uh, how, how, how you been, Kevin? Doing very good. You guys are all gearing up for all sorts of Dragon Con stuff. Oh, yeah. Every year it's a big pilgrimage for me to go down there, and I volunteer and speak on a few panels, and it's just great seeing 40,000 of my closest friends talking genre stuff. It's like going it's like going to Mecca almost for you. It, it almost is. It, at this point it is, and it's, uh, you know, it's uh, big. I know some folks aren't... Uh, which you might call big fans of larger cons, but Dragon Con's pretty special being fan-run, so we can seem as big or as small as you want it to. So it's always a lot of fun, though, seeing the newbies. You can just see them walk them down the hallways because their eyes are as big as saucers, and they tend to walk into people. Yeah. So if, if any of the listeners to the Sci-Fi Rewind are coming to Dragon Con, where can they find you at the con? Uh, I will be speaking on some uh, Whedonverse panels, some Buffy panels. I'll be doing a... Uh, couple in the American sci-fi media track having to do with Legend of the Seeker and with the sci-fi channel movies. And if you want to come for the big fun event, actually Saturday night at 10 o'clock, American sci-fi media track room, which you can find in the program, we are doing a drive-in Saturday night showing of Sharktopus. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Going to supply the popcorn, kind of set up the room kind of like a little drive-in. We've got some... uh, T-shirt giveaways, a copy of the movie on DVD. We're going to have some fun. And we'll do a little MST3K commentary on it, too. Oh, awesome. Are you going to be one of the comment- commentators? Yes. Myself awesome. and uh, Joe Crow, who runs the uh, RevolutionFCF.com website. Uh, we're going to have some fun with it. Oh, it sounds, sounds very good. That sounds awesome. So, Well, very good. Well, tonight, before we get into Stargate, I thought we'd ha- we really have to talk about the way this vote came in. Mm-hmm. The last, last time we recorded, we put to a vote for our listeners, I believe it was six movies that they got to choose as to which one we were going to rewind for the next month. And I didn't know if we were going to do more than one, maybe do one the next month after that. I didn't know if we wanted to take the top two or top three or whatever. But, but uh, we had an interesting breakdown of the vote. It was something that I wasn't really expecting. Yeah, I'm looking at it now, and uh, it surprised me. Yeah, did the vote surprise you at all, Kevin? Yes. Yeah, we were talking to Brent because he was asking, uh, you know, getting ready. He does all the editing and packaging of the releases, and he was uh, asking if we were recording one tonight, and he mentioned how interesting it was. The vote didn't go towards, shall we say, the most uh, 
most recognizable names, if you will, the most well-known movies. Instead, uh, we got a couple of other ones instead that got most votes. Yeah, I mean, so the, the way the, b- the vote broke down was this. Uh, we had coming in at our number one, so I guess this is the one we're doing for September, is Enemy Mine, hmm. a movie that I've never seen. Have you seen it, Miles? Yes, a couple times. And Kevin, did you see that? Yes, I have. Okay, so I'm coming in with, like, never seeing this movie, ever. Uh, and then... Number two was Equilibrium, which kind of surprised me too because I kind of thought, well, I put that on there, but it was kind of a – I didn't figure they would get a lot of votes for it. But uh, – and then Blade Runner was in at number three. That kind of surprised me. But Yeah, some of these lesser known ones got top voting. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. So I guess next month, if you're rewinding with us, we're, we're going to be rewinding Enemy Mine. Yeah, no, so. it should be a fun discussion. I guess maybe folks who have just you know, read and seen a lot of stuff about the – more visible titles and decided these ones needed some discussing. All right. Well, then that's good. We'll, 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 we'll discuss them. We'll discuss them. I'm all, I'm all for that. <laughs> so, so for next month, we are going to be doing uh, enemy mine. So we welcome you to email comments to the sci-fi rewind at gmail.com or to Kevin or the sci-fi diner, I guess tuning into sci-fi or sci-fi diners podcast email as well. You can call in on our listener line. And we have one at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, or you can attach an audio, an MP three file to any clip you send in. So we would love to hear and play your feedback, and we'll be doing that a little bit later on in the show tonight. All right, well, let's move into to, to talking about Stargate. Mm-hmm. I guess before we go any further, uh, Miles, you want to get us started off? Give us your first impressions about. Stargate, you watched this movie a while ago, you watched it again. Mm-hmm. What were your initial thoughts? Well, I watched, you, you were kind enough to lend me the director's cut, so immediately I noticed um, content that I hadn't seen the original movie, which, in my opinion, I think definitely added to the story. Um, seeing what I believe is a young rock crawling up to this pyramid ship, um, and so I thought that was pretty cool. I thought, you know, and then going back to the 1920s when they first find it, um, but uh, and then um, seeing seeing um, James Bader right away. I mean, he he just you know he was just Daniel Jackson. I mean, I've been watching Stargate um, SG One for a while now, and now I'm, I'm used to uh, Michael Shanks. But as soon as I see James Bader, it's like he, he you know he was Doctor Jackson. So so I put I thought of you know Michael Shanks did a really good job of. When he first started playing the role, channeling James Spader's uh, uh, performance of that role. So, um, but no, it was I, I, I enjoyed it more. I think the second time around, um, I think it was in my mid twenties when I saw it the first time, and just I was just trying to, to, to see find things maybe I might have missed in the in the first time I saw it, and then and then try to compare and contrast it with the, the TV series, which uh, there there are there are. There, there's notables of each. There's definitely, you know, definitely s- similar comparisons, but there are contrasts uh, that the TV franchise went in a different direction than the uh, um, movie. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Kevin. Did you watch the theatrical release or the director's release? I saw the director's cut. Okay. Oh, excuse me. Pardon me. No, no. I did not see the director's cut. Is what I meant to say. Okay. I was watching. Uh, recently, my rewatches were based on what's been airing on uh, HBO. So I. I'm almost certain it's not the director's. Okay. Movie. All right. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any thoughts on that. I thought, you know, I watched the director's release as well. And 
thought that Miles made the comment that the additional footage helped the movie, and seventy percent I agree with that. I thought there were some there were some scenes with the Banthas or whatever they called those creatures. Mm-hmm. I call them the Banthas because my Star Wars geekness, but they weren't called that. They were added in that I felt could have been lost, but I thought it was well done. I agree. There was one. I mean, there was one scene with those beasts of burden like creatures. I mean, there's more. The Banthas. Yeah, the ba- <laughs> we'll call them Banthas. Just, um, They're called the Banthas. Okay. In Stargate. That's fine. Um, uh, but uh, there was one scene with them, I guess, when, when he gets dragged off and one starts looking at his face. That was in the original theatrical yeah. cut. That's kind of disgusting. No, that was gross. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, what was your first impression watching this movie again after? How, I don't know how many years it was since you last saw it, but what was your impression watching it this time? Well, I think a little bit like Miles was saying, I, I remember seeing it probably mid-90s. I don't think I went to the theater, but I do remember seeing it not long after it was out. Um, you know, enjoying it. It wasn't anything that uh, had me awestruck or wanting to go back and see it uh, a bunch of times. But I remember seeing it, enjoying it, uh, the concept. Uh, and, and it's tough now after you've seen a little bit of uh, the TV series to go back and try to, again, put yourself, put your head in that spot of uh, not drawing comparisons between actors and storylines and understanding some bits. So that, that's a little difficult on the rewatches to try to make it seem fresh. Not in the negative way as much as just, you know, how do you do that after so many years of seeing other people play those roles? See, I've, I have a distinct recollection uh, that when I, I remember watching Stargate and loving the movie and then hearing about the series coming out on TV and then beginning to watch a series and how difficult the transition was for me at first to believe Richard Dean Anderson as you know as Kurt Russell's character, mm-hmm. um, you know believe Michael Shanks as you know James Spader's character, just because I was shifting, they were the same characters. It's like when they do these fan films and oh, they yeah. get like here's Ca- here's Captain Kirk, here's Captain Sp- or here's Spock, but they're played by different actors. Uh, it's that same feeling. It was a little bit rough for me at first. Going back this time wasn't as bad. Uh, because I've been able to kind of reconcile that. But for me, at first, it was kind of like, hey, wait, these aren't the original actors. But there were a few of the original actors in. There's at least, yeah, it's, it's, there's at least two actors from the movie that, that made it and did did a couple episodes in the uh, in the TV franchise. Yeah, yeah. But no, we well, can talk about that later. Yeah, why well, actually, we since you mentioned it, we can talk about it. Now, the only actors to do it is... Uh, Richard Kine, who played Dr. Gary Myers, is the only actor to appear in both Stargate the Movie and Stargate Atlantis. Alexis Cruz, who did Scara, and Eric Avari, who played uh, Kassif, I guess his name, right. are the only actors to appear in both Stargate and Stargate SG-1. And then Frenchie Stewart appeared in SGU. Right. He played, he, he played a soldier. He was, one of the, he was under um, Kurt Russell's command in the movie, but then he played a scientist in the SGU and uh, – Right. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So those are the only carryovers from mm-hmm. the movie to the show. Mm-hmm. And speaking speaking of him, the thing that was a little uh, gave me a good smile going back now, you know, twenty plus years later to watch the movie. Um, I mean, my most impressionable role of him is going back to Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> I know. I know. So seeing him as a serious soldier, <laughs> it was a little okay, got to shift gears here again. You know, actors, as they go through their careers, it's tough when you something else becomes more iconic. You almost, you almost couldn't believe, you almost didn't believe his character because of it. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, come on. You're trying to pull, and you, 
No, there's no way. You're not a serious soldier. <laughs> I've, I've seen you. You're just playing soldier. You're not yeah. really. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I, but you know, I, I, I got to give it to French Stewart. I mean, he showed some, you know, he's got probably more range we give him credit for. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. You know, I, just some facts before we jump into maybe tearing apart the movie in different aspects. Um, this movie was made for $55, $55 million. Mm-hmm. It earned at the box office domestically seventy one million and foreign one hundred twenty five million, bringing its total to like almost two hundred million dollars. So it made money. Mm-hmm. Um, not a stellar by any means when you look at today's standards, but still, that's a nice release. I mean, yeah, I mean, it didn't. It, it made back what it invested, and then you know made made a decent sized profit. So I guess maybe that's what uh, drew the. Um Whoever the powers would be at the time, thinking maybe this might have a chance as a TV show. Yeah, I don't know what inspired uh, the creators of the TV show to actually say, "Hey, let's do it." Do you know Kevin? Uh, no, I really don't. I, I must admit, after having seen the movie and then when the TV series came, I was not paying much attention in between to even have an idea of, of what was the driving force. Yeah, I will tell you that and Miles and I have talked about this in different fashions. That the Stargate is the perfect vehicle for a show. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that whole idea, you can go anywhere or practically anywhere, you know, at a moment's notice. Talk about making it easy to come up with scripts and characters. I mean, that's just a goldmine. Uh, and cultures, and you play in different sets each weekend. I mean, yeah. you know, the literally, the universe is a limit. And they did something, I mean, kind of cool in the fact that, I mean, yes, it's science fiction, but maybe it's a money-saving thing, but... But it still works story-wise. They're finding humans on different planets, and that these humans originally came from Earth, yeah. but um, but they've been transported to other planets by the Gold, and um, you know, have maybe we would see what if this cult, like a lot, a lot of our cultures in our in our world history, have died out. But what if our, these cultures would yeah, have still? What if? What if they would have still yeah. survived? You know, someplace else and. The TV franchise really explores that, and and the movie kind of does it. What if if you know humans still worshipped the you know the, the Egyptian gods? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the movie itself, the storyline? What were some things um, you liked about the storyline, and maybe those will rabbit trails into some other things? Um, you know, I sat down and watched the movie twice. Uh, kind of getting ready for this podcast one time without notes and the second time doing what I did before being on the, you know, the treadmill and typing in notes as I'm watching this movie. <clears throat> but one of the things that impresses me is that the opening title sequence and the music is so iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do, do any of you guys know, do they use some of this music or the, the strains of this music in the actual theme songs for the show? The regular the, TV show. The, well, at least the version I watched, the opening score is very similar, closely, I mean, identical to what they do in SG yeah. One. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was a carryover from there. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought the music was pretty grand mm-hmm. overall, and really worked as the, um, you know, really worked for the whole uh, movie itself. And one of the things that really impressed me watching this again was how precise. And how dead on the music musical choices were for the different scenes, like when Ra comes, you know, walking out the grandness of it, and 
And then also uh, just the little sound clips. Like I'd never heard a spaceship, you know, like Ra's spaceship, you know, you know, every single movement of a door or like that, that chamber that kind of brought him back to life. You hear the stones moving, you know, that's, that's one hell of a heavy ship, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing that caught me about the music, not in a negative way, but certainly on the rewatch was how often that, you know, the, what I call the Stargate theme that everybody knows was playing throughout the movie in the background of several scenes. Right. I mean, they really, uh, shall we say, reuse that quite a bit. Uh, yeah. it, it fit perfectly. I was very cool with it, but I definitely noticed it more going back on the rewatches to now that I'm very familiar with it and heard it for so many years. It, you know, Obviously, it's there at the beginning, but even a few other scenes, it's, you know, it's there in the background to kind of, at least to me, put you in the frame of mind of, like you said, the grand scope of what they were talking about was going on. Yeah, you know, and I, and I agree, and I didn't notice that theme, and that didn't bother me, mm-hmm. the, the amount of times they had that playing kind of in the background. But um, I love too the uh, the sounds when they first put the mouth through the uh, Stargate early on in the movie. Um, I don't know if they call it the mouth, then that's the term from, from you know as from SG one the series. But the mouth when they first put it through um, the the electronic voices sounds like you're on a, a sand crawler with Jawas because <laughs> there's all those electronic robots in the background, robot type voices, you know. Though, and they're sending them out to Abydos, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is never named in the movie. I thought it the, the, They mentioned that it's going to the Kalium Galaxy, mm-hmm. but it, um, and it is Abydos, and that's the way they call it in the series, but okay. it's not until the series that we get the name Abydos. Okay. So, but, <clears throat> but yeah, so I thought the sound really worked for me overall. Yeah, they picked a good score for it. Um, and if they repeated it a few times, it, it, it still worked, like, like Kevin said. Yeah. Hey, well, why don't we move into some of our favorite scenes okay. from the movie, and we can kind of springboard out from there. Uh, Miles, why don't you get us started? Give us give us a favorite scene of yours. Um, I like when um, when Daniel Jackson first starts to translate the uh, the text, and then um, he has to correct one of the scientists. He's, you know, he, the scientist thought it was this. He said, "No, it's that." And um, just kind of showing he knows what he's doing. Well, the translation of the inner track is wrong. Must have used budge. I don't know why they keep reprinting his books. Uh, ex- excuse me. Uh, what are we doing? We, we've used every known technique. It's a curious word to use, eh? Kevin? Yeah. Then that verbial? Sedimentive. Oh, sealed. <clears throat> Buried. Excuse me. Uh, what, what, what are you What are you doing? That's coffin. For all time. Who the hell translated this? I, I, I did. Well, I should read. A million years into the sky is raw sun god, sealed and buried for all time. Swept door to heaven is... Stargate. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. I even like the scene when he's even suggesting that that the pyramids were not built by the pharaohs and... Uh, um, the scientists kind of laughing him off, so you kind of get the idea that he, you know, he's definitely sort of on the fringe as far as archaeology goes. But uh, but he, he knows what he's doing. And then um, I, I like in the movie when they when they're on the planet, um, the people 
they, they get inspired by the you know the, the, the by the you know the, the humans from Earth, um, and I don't think that the humans from Earth necessarily wanted to start a revolution, but for, but their presence there inspires the people to you know some of the people like the, like the, like the, like the kids uh, like like Scara and his friends uh, you know to rise up and and, uh, and uh, go against Ra. I thought that the translation of the inner track was indeed a funny scene when they do that whole that whole thing mm-hmm. as well. I too thought you know you mentioned the. Um, the revolution is one of the things I said, you know, I had more notes in the beginning of the movie than did at the end. But one of the things I really thought was inspiring and it's kind of cliche. You see it happen all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they're kind of surrendering and then they come up over the hill and you see all the, you know, all Natives, the native population yeah. come in and just reenact the scene from Earth, you know, 8000 years ago. It says uh, a traveler from distant stars escaped from a dying world looking for a way to extend his own life. His body, decaying and weak, he couldn't prevent his own demise. Apparently his whole species was becoming extinct. So he traveled or searched the galaxies looking for a way to cheat death. And uh, look here, he came to a world rich with life where he encountered a primitive race, humans. A species which, with all his powers and knowledge, he could maintain indefinitely. He realized within a human body he had a chance for a new life. Now, he apparently found a young boy. It says, as the frightened villagers ran, night became day. Curious and without fear, he walked towards the light. Ra took him and possessed his body like some kind of a parasite looking for a host. And inhabiting this human form, he appointed himself ruler. He used the Stargate to bring thousands of people here to this planet as workers for the mines. Just like the one we saw, this mineral is clearly the building block of all his technology. With this, he can sustain eternal life. Now, something happened, where is it, back on Earth? A rebellion or uprising, and the Stargate was buried there. Fearful of a rebellion here, we're outlawed reading and writing. You know, they kind of the re the reacting that scene, and you know they're getting free, and you know Ra's fleeing for his life, and it kind of reminds you, you know, Return of the Jedi when the Battle of Endor. Oh yeah, it is a little <laughs> bit of Battle of Endor, isn't right. it? The, you know, the, yes, our, our, our complete with banthas. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, well, to, just to kind of pick up on a point you brought up there, uh, the same way myself as far as like making some notes for discussion during the movie, I think very much uh, more earlier on because the pacing is a little slower, so you're kind of like a making plot points and discussion things, and it very much turns into, at least for me, especially in the back half, much more of an action film. You just want to sit down and take it all in. Uh, you know, nice fight and watching the bad guy get his comeuppance and things like that. So it's a little more the just, you know, cheer from that point of view but uh, that's why I think uh, the film to a certain degree is a lot of fun and did you know decently uh, you know monetary wise drawing in I mean you've got what is a science fiction story so certainly genre people are going to like it but it's not with a lot of spaceships and uh, not many creatures so it's it's you know there's a lot of people who maybe are not big sci-fi fans who can still enjoy the drama side of it excuse me Right, right. You know, so that's you know that's what I think makes it very attractive to a lot of folks. So, 
Yeah, um, you mentioned the pacing, and I think that you're right that it does become an action film, especially toward the end. But I thought earlier on, like I, again, I'm on the treadmill running and watching this thing and taking notes that. Even with the director's cut and the additional footage there at the beginning that, that Miles and I got to see, that it kept moving. I didn't feel like there was any slow parts until they actually get to Abydos. I feel there's some parts that slow down just a little bit. Yeah, I think, well, part of it, and I, I don't want to say the word suffers because that's not what I think, but part of what happens is, uh, and we, one of us touched on a little earlier, there, there is a bit of a story there that starts to play out that we've all kind of seen many times. Uh, you know the the people out of water, the you know the U.S. folks out there on the planet who are going to help the locals overcome the big bad guy, and you know, <laughs> so that, I mean, list a hundred movies that it fits to. So I'm not knocking it. So it it gets a little slower in the sense that we kind of all, or at least I did. You know, we kind of know what's coming. So you have a little bit of that. Okay, okay, okay get get to it. Okay, you know, get get to the good stuff. Let's you know set things up at least, or at least I did. I, I kind of saw where where it was going to go. I, I really enjoyed some of the early stuff. Uh, when we realize each of our lead characters has, has got some baggage, you know, they got some problems they're dealing with. Uh, they have their skill sets that are totally different, but they kind of, you know, eventually work real well together. It's kind of fun watching them. Uh, I really probably mean one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when uh, when they've got the big meeting with all the military types, and he's got all these charts to try to talk about what what all this kind of means, and, and they bring up the whole idea of the having the actual gate, you know. Oh, let's you know. Can we show him? I mean, that whole discovery. I got to think, as a, if I was a scientist or someone like that who'd spent my life working on some of these things, and you're going to get a chance to actually see it in action. Um, obviously, you can appreciate the the total wonderment of of why he'd want to go, and then eventually putting his foot in his mouth by saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, I can figure it out when we get there. I can get us back. No problem." <laughs> right. Thinking, yeah, this ain't like reading a map, dude. You know. <laughs> <laughs> If you're lost, you're lost forever. You can't figure out a way back. So I, I kind of appreciated that. I enjoyed that from the character side of it before. As I said, it kind of moved into more of an action film, which I think is totally good. Some people take that yeah. when I have discussions as a bad thing because this doesn't play as an action movie the whole time. It doesn't play as a, a story-focused movie. It kind of changes a little bit, which I think is kind of cool. It, it, it makes it fun to, to move through those different parts of a movie. You know, I'm going to be honest, and this is – you know, as I as I watched this movie, the thing that I really struggled with, and you mentioned, you know, this whole idea of the characters, and you know, they have these problems that they kind of deal with, like, um, oh, what's what's uh, what's Jack Jack O'Neill? Uh, you know, his his problem is, you know, his son is of course shot, uh, is accidentally blamed himself, his marriage is failing, and so he goes off to Abydos to blow himself up. You know, all right, so I can handle that. Um, I didn't feel Kurt Russell, con- you know, really did this role justice. And again, maybe I'm looking at it through the eyes of SG One, where we have Jack O'Neill. That's a little bit more—he's serious, but a little bit more happy-go-lucky, you know. Especially as the series goes along, um, where here you ha- just have someone that is serious and hard-nosed the whole time, and he smiles maybe a total of three times in the movie. Well, yeah, I but think, I think. Oh, go ahead, oh, go ahead Miles. No, go ahead. Well, I, I, I kind of thought this is kind of a, almost like a redemption story for Jack O'Neill. It's just that you know he's going on this planet to a uh, suicide mission, but I mean, he, you know, he's not there going to try to free the locals. But in the end, you know, we kind of get to see. We, you know, it's it. He's still the the brooding military 
suffered a, a major tragedy in his life, but then towards the end, there seems to be a spark of life that comes, at, you know, towards the end when he's trying to, you know, free everybody. Yeah, I think the thing that sticks to me on that a bit, Scott, is that, you know, again, as a movie, you've only got, what, an hour and a half, two hours to develop a character? I mean, once you start having a TV series and have watched several episodes, you've got a lot more time to fill in, you know, why you like the guy. Plus the fact you do in a TV series, you usually have to make your leads, your heroes, much more approachable, much more, mm. I won't say happy-go-lucky, but, you know. So it's easier to do a brooding hero in our movie than have him run for 22 episodes in a show. Right, right. <laughs> well, Charlie Jade was kind of a brooding hero. And again, part of why some people <laughs> don't get into that show. <laughs> I know, I know. They just don't like that downer bit for 20 full episodes. You know, it's 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 tough to swallow. What's wrong with society? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you know and I, maybe part of it is I, I'm just not a very huge fan of Kurt Russell, period, in his movies. And maybe it was that I felt that the character was a bit too stilted for me. Um, even though, ironically... When I look at, you know, when we talked about The Matrix, we had like memorable quotes all over the place. Well, this, the script here doesn't give us a ton of memorable quotes, but the lines that I have written down are from his character. The, uh, the, uh, the quotes I remember, like, you know, that first line, one of the first lines he says when he, you know, gets to Cheyenne Mountain, you know, I'm not sure what they call it in the movie, actually, but. Why are you here? Why did they bring you on this project? I'm here in case you succeed. Yeah, that was you know, a good line. That was a great line. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it kind of lets you know a little bit about what we're kind of seeing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it, but each movie's different in terms of what you're drawing from it. I mean, the thing I think we maybe need to step back a little bit and even differentiate it from TV show is the fact that um, the filmmaker, I mean, Roland Emmerich, uh, I mean, this is the same guy who's doing Independence Day, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012. These are not films usually where you're focusing on character development. I mean, That's you're not, true. <laughs> you're not looking at depth of a, a range of an actor sometimes. I mean, these are the, you know, to a certain degree, turn your brain off a little bit. Let's just kick back and give Enjoy me all life. the eye candy you can. <laughs> you, know, you know, that's very true. And I should, and I didn't even mention that, of course, that he made the film. But because he made the film in, in, in its by itself, he doesn't tend to be very character driven. He doesn't tend to put out a lot of character driven films. No, I mean, it's just not the nature of what he's got. I mean, and it's not a knock on him. I mean, some people definitely knock him for the fact of how shallow some of the characters are in those other ones. But again, when it comes to watching movies, I tend to be okay realizing whatever it does, if it does it well, I'm looking to be entertained. I'm not going to start critiquing the story of the, you know, Stargate versus the depth of the first Matrix movie or, you know, when we get to enemy mine, we're not going to be talking about action scenes. I mean, that's not what it does. So, you know, don't, don't expect every movie to have every component that, uh, you know, you think it should have there. So, so in a long story short of saying, I'm okay with it because I knew that wasn't really what it was going to do. Right, right. You know, I wasn't expecting to, you know, uh, have to pause the movie four or five times to write down cool quotes from the characters. I knew that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <this> one, so <laughs> I wasn't worried about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, talking about favorite scenes, I think one of my favorite scenes is when you get to Egypt and you first see them raise up the Stargate, mm-hmm. you know, with all those ropes and, you know, agonizing to pull this thing up. And you're like, you know, early on when you first watch a movie, you have no idea what this thing does. Mm-hmm. It's just a big circle of metal that's out in the desert. Right. 
Uh, and so I thought that was good. And I think the other scene that kind of goes back on it is the first time that they actually walk through the Stargate. Programming seventh symbol into computer. Chevron one is holding. Chevron one is locked in place. Power output at twenty-three percent. Yes. My father found it in 1928, made out of a mineral, unlike any found in Earth. I know that it becomes sort of second place, especially for those of us that have watched SG-1, that, you know, going through the Stargate is a pretty, you know, it's kind of, after a while they stop showing it because, you know, you can only see that effect so many times. But but when you first see the movie, it's kind of cool when they're stepping through the Stargate and that whole idea of them, you know, Daniel Jackson sticks his hands up or his face through and you kind of see his face hang there for a moment, then, you know, he's kind of sucked in. It's really kind of a cool sequence. And the only thing that was missing from that whole sequence was Walter. You know, the guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where was Walter in the gate room? Just mm-hmm. kidding. Again, a link to the show. But uh, but anyways, I thought that was a particularly neat the, – the first time you see it, it just kind of wows you. Yeah, because they are traveling – Across the galaxy. Uh, and other galaxies. Yeah, I mean millions and mil- maybe billions of light years away. And they kind of get the hint you're traveling through this, this, this wormhole – at you know, um, unimaginable speeds. You know, in the blink of an eye, you're 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 on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think they had to create a visual experience there. Again, being a movie and being the first time with this story to show you the whole, like we were saying, the wormhole, the journey aspect of it, the roller coaster a bit. You know, I mean, how else do you get across to the average viewer who may not be a science fiction fan this whole idea of a blink of an eye going uh, light years of in distance, you know, you got to kind of show them a little bit about what it's like. Right, right. Well, what other are there any other scenes that kind of pop out at you as you're thinking about this uh, movie? When the pyramid spaceship lands and it kind of you know retracts a little bit, it, be, it, it almost becomes like you know more like a palace for Ra. I mean, it opens up so he kind of has you know a balcony or whatever he can look outside and stuff. Um, this was the mid '90s, and so CGI was still, you know, finding its way. And so there, there was. I, th- I think they they did do some interesting things with CGI back then. Yeah. When that when that spaceship lands, it's still pretty cool. Yeah, 
And I, and I thought it was pretty believable, I mean, for a science fiction movie, right? But it's pretty believable when that ship kind of sets down that pyramid. And it's just cool. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, but before we move from that, yeah. any thoughts on on that ship, the gold ship? No, like you said, it's it's visually very very uh, big, um, so it really kind of takes your breath away. It looks nice on a big screen. <laughs> this is definitely when, certainly in the second half of the movie, it's a lot cooler to be watching this on a larger scale TV rather than a smaller device. I mean, you get a better feel for the scope because obviously a ship of that size. Um, is pretty massive so but it, it it's it's also a cool thing for a lot of folks i'm sure especially if some of the younger kids uh, younger kids here i go but if you're watching this movie in your teens maybe and you haven't read or seen a lot of science fiction stories the concept of aliens actually being the people who helped back in the days of the egyptians and the pyramids is one of those mind-bending things it's kind of cool to think about oh yeah absolutely you know yeah. that's that's what makes this story i think kind of fun too is is uh, uh once you realize if you buy into this world, that there are aliens, and that if aliens come to a planet that is not developed that well, well, of course they're going to feel, you know, people are going to put them up to be gods and so forth. So it's pretty pretty cool to think about that and the whole aspect of human history, you know, that whole idea of, you know, who knows when the aliens came in to do all these cool things we, we see years later. Well, you know, it makes sense because, you know, they continued that same theme then throughout the series and, and even other different time periods that they kind of play with that same idea of coming into a world that is, you know, less developed and kind of taking over and being raised up as gods, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, you mentioned the special effects, Miles, mm-hmm. and the, the, the Jaffa helmets. Yeah. Awesome effects. That's what I, I was going to mention, yeah. I remember seeing them the very first time I watched the movie and just being mesmerized, you know, by, by I, I call them the Jaffa. They weren't called that in the movie. In fact, the one is called Anubis, who is a totally different system lord. He's killed off in the movie. Yeah, Anubis and Hathor. Well, in the credits, it was Anubis and Hathor guards. Yeah, and they, uh, of course, are alive in the series and mm-hmm. killed off in the movie. But uh, just the, the helmets are just great. And I think one of the cool things is when you when they first land and you see the and you see you know the Jaffa as I call them, the Anubis and Hathor, mm-hmm. and they, you don't see them at first. You just see their shadows, hmm. you know, and it kind of makes them a little bit more ominous. I remember when I first saw the, the trailer years ago, just seeing you know, seeing that. I mean, just you know, that's pretty cool and different. I've seen that before. Yeah, they're much they're much scarier in my opinion in the movie than they were in the series. Right. Yeah. That. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I think a conscious choice from a story point of view. Again, the series yeah. had to have a different tone. Yeah, definitely. But it was almost there was almost a little bit of a horror in, you know in this in mm-hmm. the way they the claws and just how. You know, right? They made well, they, they made those you know, head the, the, those 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 helmets or whatever they you know look like they were actually the person's. I mean, the person's head. You would have thought, unless they didn't retract back, it was right. just you know, which is kind of cool. Like the whole fanning gills they had. At the, I don't know, like the fanning feathers. They're, they're metallic, but you know they kind of fan out. Like when they're angry, or they're going to attack. It's mm-hmm. very cool. Mm-hmm. I love kind of how varmin varminish it is. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a word, but but I, I just love that. But, uh, Kevin, uh, other uh, other scenes that stood out for you uh, from from an actiony point of view. Again, as I keep switching my hats for what I liked uh, from the movie scene, uh, 
as we said, once we had the lines clearly defined, you know, good guy, bad guy, um, watching the the uh, local folks uh, gearing up, shall we say, weaponing up to be part of uh, the force to try to save uh, the guys. Uh, it was kind of fun to watch it play out. Like we said, the whole idea of the going over the, uh, uh, looking over the edge of the, the dune and, and realizing the scope of what you've got to do, then uh, all hell breaks loose and you know, from an action point of view, it was kind of nice to watch it all play out. I thought that's what I think, uh, you know, Roland Emmerich films sometimes do very well. The large scale and a battle and a lot of people shooting each other and running, they do a good job of setting it up so it's kind of neat to, especially on rewatches, because you can kind of focus on different parts of that um, to see that the, that it's pretty well set up and that they're not chimpsing to, to only, you know, create a scale that's not really there. I mean, they spent a lot of people going in a lot of directions before you had a lot of uh, computer ability to create crowds that aren't there. So, I mean, I thought it pretty nicely set up it kind of made it again i kind of went to a popcorn movie point of view there and thought that again that last 20 30 minutes was just a lot of fun watching it play Use, I think they actually use a lot of mannequins. I think I was reading for some of the bodies. Oh, but. yeah. Well, like I said, they they made it. You know, it I, I didn't real. think it looked bad. Yeah, especially on a couple of rewatches when you'll tend to sometimes, you know, for something like this, be a little bit looking for something that's not quite done right. Yeah, I think another thing that I really liked, and this wasn't necessarily a particular scene, but I loved the rings, that whole elevator system, mm-hmm. and I know they used it then in the series. But what a great, you know, sci-fi element. You just kind of see these rings drop out of the, season, you know, the ceiling and mm-hmm. kind of raise them up. I thought that was just a great vehicle. And the other thing that I liked is the whole hand devices that Ra uses to kill people. Which, we, which we'll see later. In- yeah, you see those in SG-1 too. But I just thought these are some really cool, really some sci-fi elements that really made the movie feel sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah. And I also love the – because it's so overused, but we all know it's in there. You've got to have a nuclear device and you've oh, got to have yeah. a Fall into the hands of the bad guys. So, you know, I mean, you kind of know that's going to happen. <laughs> right, right, right. It's cliche and they're going to save the day in the end. And Yeah, so you kind of see that coming, but uh, that's okay. They, they didn't uh, overdo it kind of until they got to the point where, uh, you know, once he had set it and the timer was running down, you know, 
realistic use of time naturally goes away when you look at the timer and it's like a minute and a half and you realize that you have like five minutes of action before you come back. To the <laughs> right, right, timer. right. But, but heck, every movie does that, so that's okay. Right, right. So I think someone had mentioned, I was reading some forums somewhere, and they just mentioned how the timer keeps changing the speed it's counting down. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I kind of look past that stuff. But That is. It's storytelling latitude as well. Right, right, right. <laughs> but... Uh, I did think another neat scene was when they first walk out in Abydos and they turn around and see the pyramid with the three moons over it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool, cool shot. Oh, yeah. That is that is the definite, we're not in Kansas anymore, don't we? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Although I, although they used the same moon three times, it's the same same surface if you stop and pause the video at that point. Yeah. So, but, you know, who cares? It was fun. Yeah, come on. I, it is. I mean, I'm being nitpicky here and I... <laughs> You yeah, slap my hand like later, Kevin. Movie. You can pull any movie apart. <laughs> no, you definitely can. Um, you know, I think one of the other things that I really liked about this movie was Scar's character. And I haven't seen the actor do a lot of other stuff other than Stargate and, you know, Stargate SG-1. And I know he's done other stuff because I looked at his IMDb page. But I just loved his character and what he represents for O'Neill and, uh, and, and how he kind of is – kind of the face of the teenage population of the planet, kind of the ringleader of that. Right. I mean, I think he, he, he is one of the reasons, you know, or one of the contributing factors to, you know, O'Neill's, you know, redemption story in this. And uh, um, like I said before, they were not trying to start a revolution here. They had a mission, but that just kind of got, it just kind of happened. And, uh, I guess Ascara's enthusiasm was infectious and um, also in trying to save uh, Daniel Jackson. That was part of, you know, yeah. part, part of you know, O'Neill's uh, um, story of finding his way back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any thoughts on that, Kevin? Yeah, that was kind of the uh, – well, again, that's where – that's what a story get kind of predictable. I mean, you got to have someone who's representing the the average Joe uh, and, and create some of the scenes. Like any time you're going to have another race, you know, how do you communicate and have some fun with it that way? So, I mean, I didn't dislike it, but again, I kind of like a lot of us have said we kind of have seen this. <coughs> right, right. Yeah. So I he's an actor that he was a character I appreciate. You of course have Daniel Jackson's the nerd falling in love with the beautiful woman mm-hmm. in this movie. <laughs> Kind of a cliched yep. thing happening, uh, but I thought Shari, the, the the actor that played her, did a fine job for that. And even though they switched actors when they went to the regular series, it was still a uh, a good job, and she was close enough. And actually, I just have a little note in that. There's a little bit of a trivia thing later on. Um, that let me see if I can find it. Oh, uh, Vyatari Bandera auditioned for the role. She played uh, Shari in. In the episodes of SG One, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Millie Avatal played it in the the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they must have looked that close that, like, I didn't even realize until I was just reading this that oh, they were different people. So, but I really liked I really liked her as an actor, and I think there's one scene that really stands out, and it's I don't know if it's in the director's cut only or if it's in the regular movie anymore. But when they're leaving the city after the sandstorm, and she's standing there kind of framed in the doorway um, as they're leaving the city and Daniel Jackson kind of looks back at her as they're crossing the sand. I think it's just such a beautiful image of her. Hmm. I know. Was that in the regular movie? Do you remember? 
Uh, put me on the spot here. I'm yeah, trying to no, visualize it. I'm, I'm. I know I'm picking a very. If it was, it didn't like. It stick didn't stand out me. at you. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's just it's just me. But no. But I, I think for for us nerds, she she's the you know represents something that you know. The hope in all, in all us nerds that you know the, the nerd gets the beautiful girl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most definitely here. Um, well, just a few other things. You know, I thought Jay Davidson's character of Ra just absolutely rocked. I loved Ra in this movie. I've always liked Ra when I watched this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of this. He's kind of this, is asexual being that you can't tell whether it's female or male. Right. <laughs> it's kind of the way they play him, but he's so. The way he looks, kind of at the sides of his eyes, sometimes is just great. He doesn't look physically intimidating, but I mean, uh, you know, when his eyes glow a little, yeah, then then he looks a little scarier. But I mean, uh, so you didn't like Ra? It's not that, no, no. What I'm just saying is, physically, he he just was not the most intimidating bad guy. Not like the Jafar. No, not like <laughs> not like the Jafar. They were a lot more physical. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were, yeah. you know. It's I, I just thought that he did. He just um, he is just one of my favorite. I think looks, and I've always I've often said, why don't I see more of this guy? You know, in other movies. And um, if you do, you, do you guys mind if I go just on a little bit of a talking about Jane Davidson a little bit? Go for it. All right. So, anyways, he did not want to do Stargate. Oh. He had got done. He he had done the movie The Crying Game, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and he was really reluctant to take the role in Stargate. Um, but he didn't want to just turn the off and down, so he made what he expected to be like an unacceptable demand of a million bucks to do the movie, and it was accepted, and he appeared. Spotted at a party in London, he was plucked from obscurity and catapulted to fame with a hit movie and an Oscar nomination. While this first-time actor did not win, Jay Davison was one of last night's most talked-about nominees. Through it all, he's managed to stay almost reclusive from the press and low-key about the attention. It might sound very arrogant. But I think it's very presumptuous of people to expect me to be phased um, by the industry. Also, I've never wanted to be in the papers or really on the TV. So it was just something I just didn't want to do. I saw it with about ten friends who crucified me (laughs) completely all the way through it and afterwards. And what did you think? Absolutely hideous. When you see yourself walking and talking, it's like, do I look like that? I've seen it once. I won't see it again. Is money a consideration with this profession? Like if you were to be offered a part and be offered several million dollars for your next role? I don't have an agent. And the reason I don't have an agent is because that so no one can get in contact with me to offer me bad parts. Because if someone offered me a crap film and then offered me loads and loads of cash, yeah, I'd be very tempted. So if it's all over after Oscar night and you've sink into oblivion that's fine that's fine i mean that's where i came from oblivion i wasn't famous before i didn't grow up thinking god i really want to be famous <laughs> so he didn't want to do it but did it anyways um but he apparently just hated working on stargate because um, some of the things they say kind of lead me to that conclusion like the wardrobe and cinematography had to kind of work around his nipple rings he refused to remove them Kind of those oh, things. Okay. Um, he despised the costumes that he wore so much that on the last day of shooting his scenes, after hearing the final cut, he stripped naked on the set without going to his trailer. Uh, <laughs> more, more, moreover, Davidson retired from acting after the completion of the film. Since 1994, and t- as of 2010, he has only appeared in 
the Boring Hill Project, a 17-minute film. So, so you, that's the reason I haven't seen him in other stuff. Jeez. Well, but, he seems a little difficult to work with. <laughs> yeah, well, he's done. He's he's done a lot of stuff in fashion now. Like if you read his IMD page, P, D page, he's like done a lot of fashion stuff since. So. Okay, maybe that's more cup of tea. But, mm. <laughs> but I just thought it was kind of funny because I've often said, "Why am I, why am I not seeing this actor in some other stuff?" And well, that's that's why. Mm-hmm. So, just an interesting fellow. Yeah, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. I did forget we didn't mention that that uh, Shiresh from Heroes. Yeah, the guy who played the, the leader, of the, uh, the yeah he. Well, th- this guy. He's done a lot of other stuff. Yeah, too, he's done but. lots of stuff, and uh, I actually heard an interview with him, and um, I mean, he enjoyed doing the movie, but at the same time, didn't necessarily enjoy. I mean, I, they filmed it in Arizona, and it was you know, it was heat, hot. It was the hot <laughs> and the sand and everything. Yeah. But I mean, Eric Gavari is his name, by but, the way. They mentioned it earlier, but. But uh, otherwise, he spoke very positively of, of being in the movie. And well, got him some TV work later, too. Yeah. Does anyone know what la- – do, Kevin, do you know what language you were speaking? No idea. No, I actually tried to find it and couldn't. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm – sure it, but it, it's convincing, <laughs> you know, whatever it was. You know, it's con- if they tell me it's ancient Egyptian, I guess I'll believe them. Uh, I will believe them. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell me it's whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I'll believe it. Yeah, I mean, it didn't take you out of the movie or anything. It wasn't like some films where you think. And the subtitles didn't bother me when you were reading them either. No, that that, that was well done. It wasn't too, you know, in your in, in the way. Yeah, absolutely. What is have uh, we have some listener feedback before we get to it? There's just two other lines of Kurt Russell's I just want to mention. I love his line when he sends the nuke up into. Um, or when he no when he it's when he sends the the body of the guy that's trying to detonate the newton send it to earth right. back up to uh ra give my regards to king todd asshole <laughs> that's just a classic line. That's that, a Kurt Russell line, if I ever heard one. That's Kurt Russell at, you know, at his finest. <laughs> that's Snake right there. Yeah. And uh, the other line that Kurt Russell says I thought was just really cool was it's kind of foretelling. He, you know, the last line of the movie is I'll be seeing you around, Dr. Jackson. I'll be seeing you around, Dr. Jackson. Hmm. And lo and behold, yes. We have a series. We have it, yeah. Not that it was planned when the movie finished, but no. But they did a good job from the movie's point of view of leaving it open for sequels. If you know that is the angle they had stuck with. Well, and according to we interviewed Christopher Judge at Shore Leave, and we didn't air this interview. But according to him, Independence Day was supposed to be a sequel. Like was originally, I guess maybe before it took on its own life, was supposed to be billed as a sequel to Stargate. That it was originally supposed to be a trilogy that never was followed through on. Oh, interesting! But, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I, if what Christopher Judge is saying is true, hey, you know, then uh, you know it would have been great to see a sequel out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad they went the way they did, though. Yeah. And I've have heard rumors of another Stargate movie down the like a separate movie separate yeah. from the TV franchise. Yeah. I don't know if we'll ever get it or not. But, I mean, but, we're, go- oh. we're going almost twenty years now. Yeah. yeah, but but I think they also know that with all the Stargate SG one Atlantis SGU fans too, that that's a franchise that's just got too much money floating around to 
not have someone eventually want to do something just because they think it's got such a built-in audience. Oh, absolutely. I would agree with that. I think I think that it would be a stupid move not to do something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. here's the thing with it's now in a league with you know Star Trek and Star Wars as being a huge franchise. It's had a huge universe. A universe yeah. with I mean it's had, you know, um, over 300 some episodes um, and, you know, Two two straight DVD movies that did well, and the original movie back in '94. So, yeah, it, it's now you know, um, it's not, it, it's a powerhouse like Star Trek and Star Wars. Yeah. Is. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. Talking a little bit earlier about uh, Dragon Con, I mean, uh, forty different programming tracks, and and there is a Star Trek, Star Wars, and a Stargate track, and the Stargate track is very popular and has lots of big name guests and really draws. I mean, there are. Lots and lots of fans who mm-hmm. come out for that in a big, big way. Absolutely, absolutely. So, ho- hopefully, it'll be something. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We just uh, we have some listener feedback. I have three facts I want to give you before we get to that. Um, did you know that Stargate, the movie, was the first movie to ever have an official website? Oh, that, that, I didn't know that. Dean Devlin put it up in 1994, and it featured images, trailers, and behind-the-scenes clips and actor information. So it was the first wow. movie to ever have an official website. Very interesting. Yeah, and um, and also just another small fact. According to the DVD commentary, uh, the group of scantily clad youths that surround Ra were intentionally included to create unease in the audience. Oh, it worked. Yeah, it does. It yeah. kind of does make yeah. you. Yeah, you do kind of notice. Yeah, you notice it. Yeah, you're kind of like, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but and did anyone ever? Did anyone ever think about the fact that Daniel Jackson's running around the desert with Fifth Avenue Bar that doesn't melt? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that it bothered me in the movie, but you know, I do think about it. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, well, why don't we move into some listener feedback? And our first piece of listener feedback is from Jen from New York and her thoughts on this whole Stargate uh, movie that we're talking about. Okay, hi, guys. This is Jen from New York just calling in for about your uh, Stargate Rewind and Rewatch there. I'm glad you guys are finally able to get to do this movie. I mean, I've always loved it when it first came out. You know, I've always been a fan of the movie and series as well. And, you know, it's been... Uh, I guess the first thing that really like enticed me to the movies were like all the actors and you know prem- prem- the premise to it too, you know especially like with Kurt Russell there like uh, you know I always like enjoyed like Big Trouble Little China and Tango and Cash of his films, especially those for for me. And uh, then it was like James Spader, of course he was cute at the time. Now not so much, but. Uh, <laughs> That's just me, but I always like that. I always enjoyed him as like Daniel Jackson, and you know, of course Daniel Jackson's always one of my favorite characters as well in the movie and series. And uh, of course, then there was also like you know other actors as well that from that that I've always enjoyed was like especially like you know Alexis Cruz played Scara, and Erin Gafari as Kazuf, and Share of course, and French Stewart. You know, who appeared like, you know, back then. You know, he was first from like Third Rock from the Sun. So uh, I always enjoyed him from that, and he did a good job in the movie as well, like playing the serious part. And also with Eric Avari, you know, he, 
you know, he did like so many things after like this movie. You know, it was amazing. Like especially more noticeable like was the Mummy. Those were like awesome movies. And Independence Day for me, like I always watch it every time I see him. I always go like, look, it's Kazu from Stargate. And it's like always funny. Like every time I see him, I do that. So you know, he's just like done so many shows. And it was smart on like the Stargate as you won the series. Yeah, that they took like you know two people from the movie to actually play their characters in the show, especially like Skara and Kasuf. You know, I always enjoyed every time I saw them again in the in the shows. And so you know, and there was a couple like you know scenes in the movie too that were my favorite. Yeah, most noticeably, like, from, like, the beginning part, like, when they first meet Kasuf, you know, and Daniel just goes to give him, like, a candy bar to try to show that they're friendly. And, uh, you know, and it turns out, like, you know, first what I saw his, his reaction, I thought it looked like, you know, I didn't think that it looked like poo, you know. <laughs> but then he goes, after a while, he tastes it, and he goes, Bonnie Way? Ah, oh, Bonnie Way. And which means good, you know. So I always like thought that part was cute, and uh, then also like a part, I like the part where like you know Kurt Russell is Colonel Jack O'Neill, you know, goes to try to like find Daniel Jackson. I guess after the party that they had, that you know, he got married unexpectedly, or not that he realized after the fact, you know. And uh, you know, then he goes to try to explain who he's looking for to Scara, and at first he like tries to sneeze, you know, to show his allergies, you know, and then and then. Because he goes to taste the, the show about the chicken, and like goes makes that yeah you know, sound, and then like or they go ick at first, and then they go bark bark bark. All the kids go. You know, it's like that part too. And but my favorite part most of all from the movie was uh, especially like when they thought that Daniel Jackson was like brainwashed by Ra you know, after they were attacked by him, and they try to like you know turn the tides and like. Scar like shows a reflection off his gun to try to wake him up. I'm like that's always my favorite scene for some reason. I don't know. I always wait for that part. Anytime they show that on cable, I always like you know wait for that part to come on. I don't know. It's just me. I guess it's a Daniel thing. But uh, it's really amazing like how like far that movie's come. I mean, and with the series and all. Like I don't know who like you know is like behind the scenes. Who if it's the producers or the showrunners or if they're the producers that if they were the ones that bought you know the movie rights from MGM you know I don't know like Dean Tamplin's hands cause like it's a shame like you know of course you know in the end we got our favorite show but at the same time we never got to see what Dean Tamplin would have done if he was able to make a sequel from the movie but now I heard recently that he had you know has a chance to make a sequel so it would be interesting to see like you know what he'd be able to do with it now you know especially like it's 17 years later like I said and like all these actors are older and so, like, I guess he would probably have to get, like, different actors to play these parts. So, it's like, it would be interesting to see what eventually comes out of it, if anything does. And I guess, like, Kurt Russell and James Bader could possibly make cameos. But, uh, so, we'll see how that goes. And like I said, I've always been a fan of the show, and it's one of the shows that I actually got on DVD at the time. You know, and every time it came out, I was, like, obsessed with it. And I'm really impressed with you, Miles, that you've been able to watch, like, all the seasons so far, like, up to season seven already. It's pretty impressive. You know, and it's like, like I said, I wish I had the time to do it, but I hate the fact that there's so many, like, summer shows now, and that's on. And most of the time I get a chance to do anything, it's, like, on the weekends. So maybe in time I will. So I look forward to, like, the next time you guys uh, do a sci-fi, you know, when you get to do this show. I, get, I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. So until then, bye. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Jen from New York, for calling in and giving us your thoughts on Stargate. Uh, what do you think about what she's saying? Kevin, why don't you go ahead and comment here? Oh, I appreciate uh, I know Jen pays attention to a lot of detail, having heard her voicemails on uh, your podcast before, and also she's called into ours. Uh, I love the energy she brings to the different parts and, and uh, you know, what, they, what they mean to her and, and uh, uh, which parts make the most fun stuff, the candy bar scene again, as we kind of joked a little bit with the non-melting one. But still, the the, the concept of what that meant, the whole idea of a, an alien race and how that would work is, is some good stuff. Yeah, she mentions that it's kind of like looks like poop when he offers it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but, but she mentioned that it's she, true. She's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. That's yeah. like many of those candy bars. Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you're you're never seen in Caddyshack. I mean, uh... <laughs> uh, but anything that uh, kind of uh, stood out from what she said, Miles. Um, the the actors that she may mention, um, obviously. Uh, the, the stars, Kurt Russell and, and, and uh, James Spader. Um, uh, I guess I guess she finds that James Spader has not aged as well. Uh, yeah, and, uh, probably not. I haven't seen him recently. I think Air Force One he was in. That was the last thing I saw him in. He was in a TV show with uh, William Shatner for a while, that Boston Legal show. Oh, okay. I'm not sure what he's doing right now. Um, okay. and, and she's Eric Avari. Uh, is that his name? Um, he, he, I mean, lots of sci-fi we've seen this guy in. Oh yeah, and, um, he's been, he's done a couple episodes of uh, the newer Star Trek shows. Um, more, more worn prosthetics, makeup, and uh, um, yeah, he's uh, yeah. I, I heard you know he, he likes he he he's not on purpose. He does sci-fi, but he, he does like to do sci-fi because the idea is explored in there. Okay, very cool, very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I, you know she mentions of course Dean Devlin. You know thinking about doing a sequel here. I don't I don't think you'd ever bring Kurt Russell and James Spader back into this. Uh, yeah, I'd, they'd have to be like in wheelchairs, you know. Bring, I don't know. I mean, uh, Kurt Russell's got to be in his early sixties now. I mean, oh yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I hope if they do, well, and we when we talk to Chris Judge. I mean, it would it, if they do a new Stargate, it would not be based on anything from the TV franchise. No, it couldn't. It couldn't be based on that. And I don't think you could base it on the. I don't know how you would do it. How would you do? How would you do that, Kevin? Uh, that's up to those uh, well-paid and uh, creative scriptwriters. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I don't know how you would do it and make it work. But. Yeah, because I mean they've covered so many storylines in the TV series to try to make something for movies that can be unique. Whoa, good luck. Well, and I think it would again. It would have to be more based on either a continuation or a sequel to the original Stargate movie, and just kind of ignore the series. Yeah, that's one thing. I mean, maybe. Maybe in their version, they never go back to Abydos yeah. or something. I don't know. Yeah. Until the sequel. Yeah. Well, well, thanks again, Jen, uh, for calling in and giving us your thoughts. And uh, really appreciate you calling into the show and let us know what you thought of Stargate. Uh, and let's go ahead. Colin wrote in. And he's written in before and has given us his thoughts about some different rewinds we've done. And here's what he has to say about Stargate. Uh, he says this. Hello, one and all. Well, Stargate the movie, a movie that launched three TV series, one of which will go in the record books for its 10-season run. It makes a change for a TV show to be off the back of a series um, instead of vice versa. Um, I remember the first time I saw this on DVD. I liked it from the off. Um, the tie-in with the ancient Egypt proving the fact that an off-world civilization taught them how to build. 
Uh, While the conspiracy theorists must have loved that part. Kurt Russell and James Spader worked well together, which triggered a whole lot of debate on which pairing you like, TV or movie. I'm sure you'll go into that. We didn't, but we'll have to go into that. Uh, But for me, it's TV. It's TV Jack uh, movie Daniel. Uh, I prefer the wisecracking O'Neill and the Spader to me is more convincing as Daniel. Emmerich does a good direction job. The film is not cheesy like some of his others. Plus the characters get some development. It lags and gets a bit bogged down in the middle. Uh, But this was reprieved by the final battle at the end. The special effects hold up okay. The sweeping panoramic views are well done. Even the destruction of Raw at the end is convincing enough. Although I do think if you were a system lord, you'd have more in your entourage than just a few warriors and some kids. That's true. But I wonder if – but I know the tech was way beyond the locals. But if you're subjugating a race, you need more than a couple of guns. Um, That said – uh, that said, fear is a good form of control motivation. It was not until the real faces of the warriors were revealed that the locals seriously thought they should rebel. Some call this a popcorn movie, but you can miss some points. Kurt Russell brings some subtle human quality to a cold character. He's a brute strength in the movie. Spader brings his brains and warm heart. His performance is crucial in combining the two halves together so they unite to a common goal. Finally, let's not forget that this was an original movie. It inspired many others to follow this premise, including the TV series. I say enjoy it for what it was. It's an enjoyable movie with an okay script and a lag in the middle, but you'll enjoy the ride overall. Live long and podcast, Colin. Thank you, Colin, for uh, writing in. And uh, why don't we respond a little bit to Colin's email? Miles, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, yeah, I agree. This is not, you know, it, it's less less cheese factor than some of other Roland Emmerich's other movies. Um, it's it's got it's a little more, you know, you, you got to invest a little more mental energy into it because because we're talking about um, the idea of aliens visiting our world thousands of years ago and kind of helping to, you know, sort of shape and mold it in a way, um, and so. Uh, so yeah, um, I don't know if I agree with him as far as the the, um, the pairing with um, you know, the Kurt Russell James Spader versus the uh, uh, Richard Dean Anderson and uh, Michael Shanks. I've, I've grown to very comfortable with uh, around uh, Richard Dean Anderson, and Michael Shanks. I, I think the, now, now I think Rick, uh, Spader. I mean, he's he's dead on as, as Doctor Jackson, but I think. What uh, Shanks had has done with that characters, you know, after that is, is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I think Kevin, you mentioned this earlier that you really, it's almost unfair to compare both the TV show and the movie. The movie's premise is so uh, much darker mm-hmm. than the TV show's kind of. I mean, one of the things that made SG One so fun to watch is kind of this happy-go-lucky. You know, you know, you have scientist, you have a scientist, a a linguist, and a, a jock and a um, a, a Jaffa, you know, walk into a bar. Let's see what happens, you know, type of thing. And so it's very comedic, and you don't have that in this movie. But I'm not sure you expect it in this movie. No. But uh, Kevin, your thoughts on what he was saying? Well, he did an excellent job of talking about. Uh, I don't think we need to use the word nitpicking, but shall we say, uh, pointing out some flaws and some design of uh, how you would approach. Uh, an invasion and uh, the number of uh, people at your disposal and things like that. So he, he did a good job of 
of uh, kind of bringing that out. We kind of glossed over it, but he's absolutely right in terms of what it uh, took liberties with. But it also, uh, uh, I don't want to repeat too much what you guys are saying, but I agree. I, I think it's it's difficult to try to compare movie to TV, especially when the TV has had such a big, 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 huge number of episodes and we've gotten very used to it. It's uh, I think as a human being, it's almost difficult to say you can be fair in your comparisons right. uh, based on the body of work, which isn't a knock on either side. It's just uh, if we didn't have our nice time capsule to go back to 1996 and get our opinions then and then see how they differ now, it's uh, part of the fun of being geeks and talking about it. But he's, he's very on the point of, of uh, finding which character maybe you do or don't like yeah. uh, better, but that's Again, with only 90 minutes worth of a body of work, it's tough to say I don't like Kurt Russell's take on the character because it's, uh, you know, that means I guess I only get two episodes of Richard Dean Anderson to do a fair comparison with. Right, right. Well, you know, it's it's a um, it's an interesting thought. I mean, the idea of separating the two, you really almost have to do do it. And, you know, he mentioned, um, you mentioned about the alien invasion and about it being not, you know, very accurate. And I only thought about that once, and that was when the two, that they only, like, they only seemed to have two ships. Yeah, they had, they had the two flyers or whatever they call them, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, that are on them. I'm like, okay, you kind of need more than that on a ship, but. Well, if if the people, the the residents of this planet, I mean, uh, they're kind of stuck way back in the dark age as far as technologically. I mean, they t- I mean they, they explain in the movie they've they're not been allowed to learn how to read. I mean, so it's kind of like their 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 technological progress has, has been very stunted. So um, maybe you wouldn't need so much to uh, you know keep the people in line. If, you know, if, if if the people are that backwards as far yeah. as well, yeah, they're using fear. Yeah, using know, fear, yeah. and he's, he's he's trusting that fear is going to keep him in line, mm-hmm. and uh, just doesn't quite do it. Mm, but I know. but I agree. This movie is a fun popcorn movie, and you know, Kevin, you said that, so he's kind of reiterating what we said earlier too. Well, I think he's kind of though he disagrees a bit with folks calling it popcorn because of uh, the way some of the character stuff was done. So right, I, I'm you know, again, I see it as different stages of a film there i think the last half is certainly more of a popcorn movie when you just want to see stuff blowed up and and the good guys win but but he's right it's not that way from beginning to end like several of the other roland films are yeah no absolutely i would agree well we have one other piece of listener feedback and this comes from mike crate who of course does the gatecast and um miles i know you've listened to some and kevin i know you have too right Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... uh, Many years. Yeah, so let's listen. He wanted to say, well, he said, I run the Gatecast. I have to throw in on this, you know, (laughs) because, hey. So this, anyways, this is his comments. Greetings, Kevin, Scott, and Miles. It's Mike, a.k.a. Jarek from various forums and Gatecast co-host. It's rewind time again. Now appropriate, you are covering the original Stargate theatrical movie, which is rumored to be under consideration for a second outing with a true sequel, although a reboot, remake is, I suspect, an option as well. Now for the weather. <laughs> Sorry, guys, but I'm genetically coded to talk about the weather at some point in any conversation. Although it doesn't help, Alan, my co-host, is obsessed with the shiny yellow orb, which is the bane of his existence. Talking of the sun, smooth, eh? We have Ra, who has enslaved a prehistoric culture on Earth, eventually leading them to another world in which to live and die at his whim, whilst toiling to supply Ra with the materials required to maintain his technology and thus his life. This is the basic framework of Stargate. 
Nothing too complex here, and truth be told, while character development does take place, it's all compressed and feels forced. Which is a shame, because the TV version, similar but with some significant tweaks, has characters that become the focal point. But that's TV, if given the time by the executives. I have to say, Stargate is one of my favourite sci-fi movies. It's beautifully shot, and the score is exceptional, as that big, epic summer blockbuster feel, without the hype that is required these days. I never got to see the movie in the cinema, but it was one of my early Laserdisc purchases. To this day, its sheer rattle-your-bones surround soundtrack gives a multi-channel speaker set up a real workout. The landing of the pyramid and subsequent lightning, thunder and sandstorm really puts you in the middle of the maelstrom, yet when needed, the subtlety of the desert and its people is equally as captivating. So, visually appealing, a killer score, and simple yet effective story in which good guys take on the bad guy and prevail. Maybe a little cheesy, but the pure style of Roland Emmerich's production really shines. And let's not forget Kurt Russell and James Spader, who gave life to Jack and Daniel. So much to be thankful for. Give my regards to King Tut, and I'll see you on the other side of the gate. Thanks, Mike Crate, for uh, calling in and giving your thoughts. It's uh, great to have you in here as a, the voice of Stargate in a lot of ways on the mm-hmm. internet. Uh, Kevin, what are your thoughts about some of the things that he said? Well, I know uh, this. You know, Mike's got a pretty good collection of movies, uh, having known him for many years, and, and I'm not surprised to hear this is one of his laser disc uh, formatted ones. Uh, but it's certainly the type of movie that you would enjoy in that format because it brings out the visuals very much. Um, the character stuff being forced, um, I mean, he's more of an expert, so I'm going to defer a bit. But I do understand, again, it's the 90-minute, or in this case, the two hours you've got to put a story together. Uh, and I think I'm not sure if it was Colin or Jen or, or one of us two mentioned that you've got that middle part of the movie where you kind of gets kind of windy uh, as we gather up the uh, locals maybe that would have been better served with less local gathering and more of our characters so it didn't seem quite as forced but no he's got a good handle on it obviously the guy knows knows his stargate left and right right i defer to him right 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 absolutely you know we are honored uh thoughts miles i'm pretty much echoing what, what kevin said i mean uh in 90 minutes there's only so much you can do um but um i, I like what he said that um it still sounds really good in a, in a surround sound. It still it still holds up there. You know, really, in Stargate, we really do get the Bible for the entire franchise. I mean, what motivates the entire franchise? Humans being taken off Earth, mm-hmm. kind of Earth being the planet of origin, the idea of them being system lords. Uh, in fact, I was reading somewhere that there's apparently a link between Ra and Thor and the Asgard oh. somewhere down back the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it came out in the card game, which I never played, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I think that there's a lot of uh, there. There is this does become. He mentions it's kind of a fun film. It, it gives birth to you know Daniel Jackson and uh, and you know and uh, and Jack O'Neill, and, and so this is kind of a so he kind of holds it in high regard, mm-hmm. and it makes sense if he's a fan of you know Stargate that he would hold this film up. Oh yeah, so. Um, any other thoughts, Kevin? No, I think, uh, you know, having Mike be the last one to get a word in on this one, I think is a perfect way to look at it. Yeah, it's a perfect way to end this show. We appreciate <laughs> you, uh, you know, tuning in to us tonight as we uh, kind of dissect Stargate and talk about its impact. There's no doubt in my mind that this movie 
has a place in sci-fi history just because of the fact that it spawned you know three series mm-hmm. that kind of spawned off of it. I know the series kind of spawned off of themselves, but you know if it wouldn't have been for this movie or this idea that apparently uh, Roland Emmerich got sued, you know, huh. because for for apparently stealing the idea, we wouldn't have had these movies. Mm-hmm. So. But but yep. Yeah, so uh, I believe that about does it. <laughs> Um, I believe that's about it. Before we go, please don't forget that we are reviewing or we are rewinding Enemy Mine, um, which I will have to rent, I guess. Are they streaming that off of Netflix? Do you know, uh, Kevin? No, I don't believe it's streaming. You'll have to go DVD. I'm going to have to rent the DVD. Okay. So I got to make sure I put that in my queue. But we're doing Enemy Mine for next, uh, I guess, sometime in the middle of September, definitely after Dragon Con. Um, so probably about the middle of September sometime. So if you can get a review in by then, you can just email it to us, sci-fi rewind at gmail.com or call in at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, or into any of our shows, and that's fine. Kevin, where can they find you? Our primary website is at tuningintosci-fi-tv.com. Yep. And so go there if you want to dialogue more about Stargate or you want to talk about it in the forums. We, of course, have our Facebook fan page, and uh, that kind of functions as our forums. Mm -hmm. And we, of course, are the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, Miles and I, and uh, this is a lot of fun doing this. I really appreciate, Kevin, us kind of hooking up to do this sort of thing. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Yep. So I believe that's about it. I'm going to say good night. Until next time, good night and good luck.